welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So let's look at a um, little bit OT. Um, that's Old Testament. Hey, remember I'm cool. Cool people abbreviate things. Okay, so we're going to go a bit OG with the OT. Get off. Preaching feedback team. We're in the process of developing that preaching feedback team. I get feedback, but we're going to make something official. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so good. Huh? PTL. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Dad. Wow. Mr. Cool. Actually, nah. Uh, nah, nah. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. 1 Samuel 23, 10 and 19. We're going to talk about Jonathan and David for a little bit. Because how can you talk about encouragement without them? But I like Penny mentioned them last week. Um, and I had a full other message about them, but this is just an abbreviation of a few things. So let's go. Cool. 1 Samuel 23, 10 to 19, as you grab your Bibles. Um, I'd encourage you to take notes because you've either got a great memory or you don't care. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. But you still feel loved by me, don't you? Yeah. I love it. I love this culture that I can dig in a bit and then uh, know that it's coming from a place of love. Jesus did it all the time. Read some words of Jesus. You know, you can rip some pages out of the New Testament thinking it wasn't really him because of the way he spoke. He was always kind. So I'd encourage you to take notes if you want to steal them. Um, 1 Samuel 23, 10 to 19. Then David said, Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard... For certain, he's talking about himself, for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Kalah, Kalah, to destroy the city on my account. Verse 11, will the citizens of Kalah hand me over to him? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the citizens of Kalah hand me over to the men and my men over to Saul? And the Lord said, they will hand you over. Then David, then David and his men, about 600, rose up and departed from Kelah, and they went wherever they could go. When it was reported to Saul that David had escaped from Kelah, he gave up pursuit. Verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of, let's go with Zeph. And Saul searched for him every day. Wow. But God did not hand him over, him over to him. Now David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. While David was in the wilderness of Zeph at Horash. Verse 16, and Jonathan Saul's son set out and went to David at Horash and encouraged him in God. He said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you and you'll be, you will be king over Israel and I will be second in command to you. And Saul, my father, knows that well, verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed at Horash while Jonathan went to his house. Lots in it, as there normally is when you read 10 verses. But David, how many questions did he ask? 
Am I going to be handed over? So we're going to find me. Are they going to hand me over? Are the people in this town going to die? Are they going to hand me over? What's going to happen? Da, 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 da. He asked about six questions, freaking out. Stressed, anxious, worried. I'm going to stay on that little bit for five or so minutes and we're going to lean in more to what we've got to go. But stressed, anxious, worried. David, King David, wowee. Freaking out, paranoid, fearful. Someone's trying to kill him. You read through it, he's freaking out. He fled. This is a pattern. Elijah, Mount Carmel, the, the um, prophet Baal, send down fire, consume. Where does he end up? A couple of chapters later in a cave, scared. God says, what are you doing? Where are you? Something happened to David. What happened in chapter 17 and 18? He got anointed. He was called, chosen, anointed, highly favoured. This is who you're going to be. What happened after that chapter? Everyone was scared about Goliath. They tried to put Saul's armour on him. He goes, nah, this isn't a right fit. I know who I am. <laughs> Bang, gone, dead. Yes. Six chapters later, he's fleeing, asking paranoid, fear-filled questions, fleeing to the wilderness and not only fleeing to the wilderness, but leading 600 men in fear into the wilderness. Oh, wild. Stressed, worried, anxious. I just want to highlight this again. Being anointed and killing Goliath and running into the wilderness is brief faith. He didn't end up with brief faith. He was consistent and did really well. He had ups and downs throughout the journey. And this is a constant battle that we're battling with. It's a constant challenge. Because Jesus has solutions for us. And we're on a beautiful process and beautiful journey where we do not self-condemn because there is no for, therefore now, no condemnation for those that live in Christ. We know that He's constantly for us and with us, that He's in us and on us, that we can cast our cares upon Him for He cares for us. We can come close to Him and cast everything that's going on and He'll give us rest. Anyone that's burdened, weary, heavy laden, we know we can come to Him, Matthew eleven twenty eight. We know that He's our ever-present help in time of need. We know that He's so good all the time, regardless of what is going on. We know that He sees our coming and our going. We know that He never has a bad thought about us. He's kind and patient and He knows where you're at. And He loves you where you're at. Does it mean He wants you to stay where you're at? I love with Bella when she's been a little bit naughty and in the process of me disciplining her, I every time say, I love you even when you're naughty. I remember the first time I started saying that to her, she was shocked. I don't even know where she got that, that I wasn't. <laughs> but he loves you all the time, no matter what. But David experienced brief faith as well, like the disciples. Like Jesus explained to the disciples in Matthew 6, why are you anxious about your life? Don't you realise your heavenly Father will provide? See the birds of the field, the lilies, the sparrows, Aren't they clothed and saw, uh, sorted out well? How much more you, a human being that I love and died for? 
We see this brief faith thing pop up all the time. Translated, oh, you of little faith, translated in the Greek to brief. It's not a little faith thing. It's a brief faith thing. It's a how long did you carry hold onto faith thing. It's not a tiny, eeny meeny faith. It's a consistent faith. Peter experienced it on the water. He was doing so well, but the distractions of the wind and the waves and the fear and the stress and the anxiety and the worry caused him to sink because he took his eyes off Jesus and was distracted by much. The same thing happened in the boat that Lee spoke about, peace be still, that whole situation. Lee forgot to mention what Jesus said to them first when they said, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned that we're going to die? He said, why don't you sort it out? Where's your faith? And that's the same principle. They were doing so well, but in a moment of unforeseen circumstance that knocked them for six, they were distracted and they settled back down to natural thinking and brief faith appeared. David experienced this very thing. He was distracted. And what's distraction? Distraction is anything that takes our eyes off Jesus. Distraction is anything that takes our eyes off Jesus. That line never gets old. To fix our eyes on Jesus. I spoke a full message on this, so I'm not going to go into it. But if you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to do so. When we seek first Jesus and make him our number one priority in life, life works. There's no substitute for you being with Jesus. There's no organisation that you can do prior to your busy day that's better than spending time with Jesus. Now, is it silly to not be organised? Of course. I think we're pretty well balanced in our beliefs and, and them playing out in this church. But I'd encourage you, there is no substitute for being with Jesus. And David's freaking out. He was fearful and paranoid. There was anxiety because of brief faith. And brief faith came because of distraction. He was distracted. He was called, chosen, anointed to be king. And with Saul trying to kill him, Saul actually said, hey, I'm going to set David up with my daughter. And you know, the motive of Saul was, I'm going to set him up. Just after he was anointed, he goes, I'm going to set you up. One wife, nut, didn't happen. Next wife, Michal, I'm going to set her up. He said, so I can snare David. And then David said, no, nah, I don't want a piece of it. But then like two chapters later, Saul bribed him and David said, okay, I'll marry him, marry her. So this is anointed, called, chosen, kill Goliath, let's go. And then Saul bribes David to marry his daughter. David didn't want to do it, but married her. And then we go, oh, there's distraction. There's distraction right there. What does distraction lead to? At least the brief faith. So where did he find himself in chapter 23, freaking out, asking 10 questions, am I, am I going to die? Am I going to die? When he's seen the hand of God on him. Let's keep moving. Jesus provided the answer and it was to seek first the kingdom of God. So Jesus was clear and he gave us solution. 
None of us want stress, worry and anxiety. None of us want brief faith. None of us want to be ruled by distraction. We want to live in consistent peace. Amen? We want to be strong, clear and confident in our beliefs and in our faith. We want to seek first Jesus and the Kingdom of God. We want this, don't we? We need others so that we can do it together. The solution is seeking first. And as I said, that'll never get old. But we need encouragement to seek first. Seeking first eliminates living in a lifestyle of stress, worry and anxiety. Seeking first eliminates living in brief faith. Seeking first eliminates us being susceptible to distraction. But we need encouragement to seek first. We need encouragement to seek first. The the solution is seeking first. It's never going to get old. It'll get fresh. It'll get, you'll grow in it. It, It'll get better and better and better. As we become more humble, we become hungrier, more hungry. Seeking first solidifies our identity. Seeking first solidifies our calling. Seeking first solidifies our beliefs. Seeking first solidifies our core values. Seeking first solidifies our purpose. Seeking first solidifies our assignment, but we need encouragement to seek first. As a church, we are called to much, because I'm not sure if you heard it, but this is a move. This is a move. You can get excited about you sitting in a move. We expect everything that Jesus has made available for us to be present, active and displayed among, in and through our lives. But first, we've got to establish a a really deep culture of encouragement. If we do, the possibilities are endless. Establishing a culture of encouragement actually allows us to establish a prophetic culture. Seeking first is, is the solution, it's the answer. And there's so much in that that we talk about, presence, health and influence, you know what all that means. Seeking first is the answer. It, it never gets old. But we need encouragement to seek first. And if we build a culture of encouragement, what that does is it prepares us to have a culture of the prophetic. The prophetic is critical. Paul said that we're building this, the, the church, the early church, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's in critical, the, the current voice of the Lord. What's prophecy? It's communicating revealed truth. Prophecy is communicating revealed truth. He speaks to us. We're no longer slaves, but friends. And what do the friends do? They know what the master is doing, John 15. In Ephesians, it says, it's my kind intention to reveal my will. We know his will. We don't pray prayers anymore that says, if it's your will. They're banned illegal prayers for a new covenant person. It's true. Because too much in the whole New Testament, it says that he's revealed his will. The word is twofold the word will. Part of that word is that he will not consult you. Creation. You weren't involved, Nolene. He did not ask you which day should the birds be. 
So this is part of that word, thelemah, thelemah, the will of God. He's not consulting you, Aaron, regarding the second coming and when he's actually going to come back. He's not interested in your opinion regarding the second coming. So there is that part of that, the, the will of God, but too much of the church is fixed on that part of the will of God and puts it in a sovereignty and says, well, everything happens and we've got no say. But the word's twofold because Jesus said, your will be done. What does that word will mean? It means heart's desire. So that second part is what we're called to. And part of it is the prophetic, the, the speaking forth element of the encouragement, which Jonathan did. He didn't just encourage, he prophesied. And it changed David's life. If you've got to pinpoint something, great, the anointing, yes, of course, presence um, on him, one of the few moments that remained in the Old Testament. New covenant people, it remains on us all the time. There's, there's heightened moments, of course, but he's always in us and on us. Old Testament, that didn't happen. David, wow. There was something different about David. And if you can pinpoint something, was it the oil being poured that's significant? Let's say that's number one, wow. If I don't, I might get in trouble. But number two was this encounter with Jonathan, where Jonathan saw him, sought him out, pulled him close, and not just speak to him, he prophesied. Establishing a culture of encouragement allows us to have a culture of prophecy. Having a, a, a prophetic culture. Having prophecy happen is great and people get blessed and that's awesome. But having a prophetic culture transforms lives. Why does it transform lives? Because it's really, really important and it's identity-based and this life is all about others. And if we tap into the heart and voice of God, we get to do this thing together and look out for others and speak what He's saying in the moment, which is going to unlock things for people because he knows everything about them and he's called you to know all that stuff. Not about every person and not about everyone, but portions and sections of their life, past, present and future. He's called us to much. This is not a natural movement. It's not a natural organisation. It's a supernatural deal where, yes, we're wise and we're practical. But man, he wants to... He wants to rock your world with revelation and information that no one else could have known about a person but him. So that 1 Corinthians 14, 25 happens, they fall down knowing that the secrets of their heart have been revealed and they stand up and worship Jesus. Come on. So establishing a culture of encouragement allows us to establish a prophetic culture and encouragement has to be first because it is critical. So Jonathan saw David, he pursued David, he pulled David close and he spoke to David. He encouraged him in God. I wanna challenge you, I'll challenge everyone, small group leaders, leaders, people, Christians, believers. When was the last time you encouraged someone in God? It's another level. Hey, just wanna say I love you love this about you, think you're amazing, appreciate you. But there's another level 
of grabbing them and pushing them in God. Often we are insecure because who am I to say some stuff about scripture or, or prophecies or encourage them because they'll think that maybe I'm more spiritual than them. And we just get in this weird place of I can't say anything. And it's even in the whole thing with mental health and are you okay? We get into a weird place of what are they going to think of me? And then it becomes all about me. But it's meant to be all about them. But when was the last time you encouraged someone in God? And I've always had this picture of Jonathan grabbing David's neck and stuffing him into Jesus, into God. Just this picture. I've always had it like, he is your solution. He is your answer. He is the one. You don't have to be paranoid. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be stressed. You don't have to be frustrated. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be like this. Does it happen? Yes, it does. We put our hands up. We say, yeah, this is how I'm feeling. I mean, the, the number one way to just get cooked and, and leave and and say I've had enough is not being self-aware. This is how I feel. When you did this, this is how I feel. When that happened in my life, this is how I felt. And process it with him. We're not talking about emotional intelligence now. But this is a big deal. He encouraged, but he prophesied. Prophecy is future-based. This is what is going to happen. This is what God is saying. I see you, I'm seeking you out, I'm pulling you close, and now I'm speaking on God's behalf. I'm communicating revealed truth. You will be king. Because the doubts in David's mind, he didn't know if he was going to get murdered. And he was anointed king. You've got a dream in you right now, and you're not sure if it's going to come to pass. But God is saying now, I wouldn't have put it in you if it wasn't going to come to pass. It might look different to how you've got it in the perfect box that you've got it and how it has to play out. But he spoke it. And just like in the boat with the storm, what started it all, he said, we're going to the other side. So that was the seed of faith that they needed to not fear because God is not a liar. And when he says it, it happens. We're going to the other side. Is anybody encouraged? Jonathan didn't just encourage, he prophesied. Encouragement, do not be afraid. Prophecy, the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. Prophecy, you will be king. Encouragement, and I will be with you. And they made a covenant together. I'm so happy I've said a lot of my notes already. Isn't it great? <sighs> Fabulous. So let's fast forward seven chapters. I've spoken about this a lot, but let's do it again. Verse 23, 1 Samuel 23. Let's fast forward to verse 30. So the significance of encouragement and prophecy, the seeing, the seeking out, the pulling close and the speaking to, that significance there. Let's fast forward to verse thir uh, chapter 30. Seven chapters later. Yeah, really good. Okay. Just having a conversation in my head. So that was weird, sorry. Um, not weird, normal. Maybe how I did it was weird. Um, now let's look at what happens when we have a culture of encouragement and the prophetic. 1 Samuel 30, 1 to 6. 
Now it happened when David and his men, seven chapters later, remember. Now it happened when David and his men, fabulous, came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag. Invaded the south and Ziglag. Attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. That's full on. Girls as well. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men, remember, 600 men. So David and his men came to the city and there it was. So they're coming back, burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters have been taken captive. Can we just process that right now? What that'd be like? Coming back home and it's just wild. Okay? Okay. Verse four. Okay? So processing emotion. It's okay. Can we read this? Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Okay? Self-aware, guys. Understanding what is happening. This is sad. I'm greatly distressed. This is upsetting. My, my, my soul, my emotions are affected. This is hurting me. I love it. I acknowledge what is happening to me. This is how I'm feeling. And then five, and David's two wives. And I'm not even going to mention their names. Um, and, and Abigail, that's a normal name, isn't it? The widow of Nabal and oh, so many people in here. Carmelite had been taken captive. Verse six again. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. That's deep. Every man for his sons and his daughters. And what's the last line? But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Massive, it says his. It's personal. So seven chapters earlier, we we're talking about brief faith, yeah? We we're talking about distraction, talking about stuff. Jonathan encouraged him. Did he need Jonathan this time? The high call, the high goal is that you don't need anyone to encourage you. It's a critical part for you to carry out your assignment, that you're okay. But yet there's this tension that you need people. Well, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles preaching, to fellowship and to prayer. There's something about devoting yourself and in your devoting yourself, you know what he's like and what is needed that you reach out for people and seek out people. Something happened in David when he was encouraged and he was prophesied over that triggered something, that sparked something that he might have forgotten because before he destroyed the lion, before he destroyed the bear, before he destroyed Goliath, he was just a worshipper who just penned psalms and melodies and lyrics and poems and hymns unto 
the Lord. He was a worshipper. But he got called and chosen and anointed and he was thrust in the front line. And now he's got a job. He was just a worshipper. He just loved the Lord. And now there's a list of responsibilities, guys. There's a list. Leading 600 people. I struggled with five. True story. 600 people, he's leading. He was a worshipper and now he's working. It's all happening. The assignment. He's anointed, he's called, he's chosen to lead Israel. And there's an enemy. There's distractions. There's stuff that's trying to come over the top of everything that he built in his life. And it's just a list of work responsibilities. But Jonathan said, no, 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 come on. I'm, I'm calling you up. I'm calling you out. And what happened seven chapters later is I believe he just remembered. I just think he just remembered. The encouragement sparked something. The prophecy sparked something. It released a grace for him to remember what it was like before the tasks and the work and the, the doing things in his, our own strength, where it was a lot less simple. He destroyed the lion and the bear in between worship breaks. I love you, Lord. Encouragement and prophecy. Tash, can you jump up, please, as we close this out? Get our TD Jakes on together. Please don't. <laughs> but another point. I think we're running good time, which is great. I'm growing. Um, verse 23, David had stress, paranoia, fear, anxiety, worry, right? The encouragement and the prophecy did not eliminate that from his life verse 30 scenario is way worse than verse 23's. I'll say it again. When you're encouraged and you're reading the Word and you're worshipping and praying and fellowshipping and, and we're just living life, approaching people, praying for people, prophesying, just enjoying each other, growing, hungry, it doesn't eliminate trials, tribulations and persecution because they're meant to be part of your life. That, that Jesus just said, if you're going to be a follower, they're going to happen. What he did say really clearly is that anxiety, stress and worry are not actually your portion. And it's, it's offensive. I get it's offensive to hear it when you're in it. But truth trumps facts. Our life has got to be led by the Word of God and not by our experience. And it hurts sometimes to hear Scripture. But the sword of the Spirit is a twofold sword that cuts you but heals you. And David ended up in verse 30 way worse. He just had some guy trying to kill him in verse 23. This time the city's been plundered and wives and children kidnapped. But he did something. He remembered something. He sought first. He processed emotion. 
You go, no, that was first. The first thing that he actually did, he processed emotion, acknowledged. The first thing. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Can I read you a psalm that he wrote? Psalm 27.4. It'll be up on the screen. This is David. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. The Passion Translation says, the one thing I seek above all else. I don't know about you, but that sounds a bit like seeking first. So if we look at this life of stress, worry, anxiety, distraction, brief faith, seeking first being the solution, encouragement and prophecy being that catalytic moment to cause him to remember what it was like to pursue and prioritise the presence of God, spark something where something shifted in him where he said, I'm going to strengthen myself in you, God. I'm going to remember who you've been and what you're going to be to me. I'm grabbing a hold of the prophecies, 1 Timothy 1.18. Grab a hold of the prophecies made over you and fight with them, Paul said to Timothy. Jonathan said the same thing. This is who you are. This is who you will be. Can we stand to our feet, please? As you unravel the communion, the top piece will come off first. Um, so try not to spill your juice. Oh, yeah, you, you did it different to me. You guys are doing it way better than I did. So just prepare that, get it ready, have your whatever that little thing is, cracker, and your juice ready. Thanks, God. Thanks, Jesus. Wow. So just as we land, come on, guys. Just teasing. It's okay. So David, David knew what it was to seek first. He had to realign, recalibrate, refocus and shift some things because stuff happening in our life is just normal. It's in the adjustment and the recognising Him in the storms that really produce upgrades in our life. Jonathan's encouragement changed David's life. Jonathan's prophecy changed David's life. God, this above all else, Holy Spirit, cause us to remember, just like David in the field worshipping, Wow, Jesus addressed this. He goes, hey, guys, you're amazing, but you've forsaken your first love in Revelation 4. So I love it. He's like, he's so for them, never harsh, never upset with them as people. 
keeps no records of wrong. His love is kind and patient. So when he said that, he's like, guys, this is what you've done really well. Tick, tick, tick. But this I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. And then he gave solution. Wow. So do what you did at first. Do what you did at first. So thank you, Jesus, that you're stirring this in us this year. This doing what we did at first, this seeking first. Encouragement and the prophetic. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 3, the last verses I'll speak today. Then I'll pray and then we'll take communion together. But leading us into the prophetic, which will hit next week. Paul said, if you want to read along with me, you can. Let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special ability the Spirit gives, especially, that's all of them, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have been given the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. Still valid, still great, still holds great purpose. We still do that. But one who prophesies, here we go, strengthens others, encourages others, and comforts them. And the Passion Translation, when someone prophesies like Jonathan did, he speaks to encourage people to build them up and to bring them comfort. Jesus, we love you.